Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Hello, and welcome to the Publicly Challenged Podcast. I'm your host, Luke Oswald, and I hope you join me on my quest for knowledge to become a better public land hunter, angler, and forager. Stick with this, and who knows, maybe we will learn something together. All right, before we get to the show, I just want to talk about treelineacademy.net. Go there, sign up. Use promo code PC2020, save yourself 20 bucks on sign up. And when you do that, Mark's got a bunch of other content coming out. He's continually adding modules to this thing. So it just keeps growing and getting better. It will definitely save you some uh, some, some heartache and headache by getting together with, with this program and doing it. And then also you get a two-year membership when you sign up and you'll get a super sweet discount when you do sign up for all of his other training modules that he's coming out with. So it's a really great deal. Save yourself some money. Treelineacademy.net, promo code PC2020, save yourself 20 bucks. Also, Basemap. I used Basemap all season. Last season worked really great. I even migrated all my waypoints from Onyx and took it and deleted it off my phone because I just kind of truly like the way Basemap is set up. I can use smart markers to get all the kind of things that I don't normally take hunt notes for. And I can also use it for all my different stuff as far as check and wind and all the great features that it has with the hunt wind stand placement and everything. You can set it up and it'll tell you whether or not the wind's good to hunt that stand. So use the promo code PC25 save yourself 25% on sign up and remember you got to sign up on the website not through the app and with that being said go over to the link tree in the publicly challenged uh, Instagram and you can 
I got links to all the kind of cool gear and everything that I talk about on the podcast. So it'd be really great. You'd help the podcast out and you can save yourself some money too. All right. So we're sitting here and I am talking to Mark Livesey. And for those of you who don't know him, you probably will, probably should. And uh, Mark, I, I'm going to come out and say you are the podcast king these days. It's uh I I can't even count how many you've been on within the past year, let alone the previous years. And I'm thinking about getting you one of those uh, gold jackets. Or you remember Saturday Night Live, Mark, where it was like the three or four timers club? Well, you have officially been on three episodes of the Publicly Challenged podcast. This will be your fourth. So you're in the four timers club. There's no other guest on this podcast that has ever uh, accomplished that. So congratulations Man, a, on that i don't even know i don't even know what to say about that other than <laughs> are people just not wanting to come on your podcast or what, what's happening well i try and get new uh new material but um people who don't know mark i'm just going to say that uh he is a wealth of knowledge when it comes to e-scouting and other topics like that so i really wanted to bring mark on and we're going to talk bears today so, Mark, give people every everybody just kind of quick introduction for anybody who doesn't know you, and then we'll jump. Yeah, I'm. You know, I was telling my wife before I got on this podcast tonight, and I'm so excited to <laughs> talk about bear hunting. It's probably it's my number two passion, you know, besides elk hunting, other than food, and right? Because number 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 two, you said last time you were on the show, I, I do. I was, am pretty, was uh backcountry food and, and I don't know meals. now that it's getting closer to bear season. <laughs> I think I'm changing my mind. <laughs> I do love doing my own food. I really geek out on it. I know you are too now. And, uh, I've kind of taken a little hiatus from that. I haven't been doing hardly anything as far as meals. I've been doing so much course stuff, but bear season is coming. I'm super excited about bear hunting and I just love it. And when it comes to e-scouting, you know, obviously everyone, most people know how geeked out I am on e-scouting for elk, but I'm almost as geeked out when it comes to, <laughs> you know, finding places, new places to hunt bears. But, you know, thank you for ha having me on, Lucas. Again, you know, my name is Mark Livesey, and I'm, I created this concept called Treeline Pursuits. I moved to Montana five years ago. And my wife and I, we just packed up and I kind of stepped back and retired from my existing business. I've been an entrepreneur for 20 some years now, you know, of, of my 25 years of my life. And we just packed up and had no plans and no jobs and no nothing <laughs> and just moved to Montana. And it was the best decision I ever made. I tell most people all the time, I said, the only thing bad about it is, I wish I'd have done it 10 years before I did it, but now we're living out here in Montana. I still own my business back in Missouri, but it's, it's a shell of what it used to be. Just keep it on the kind of more of a, just keeps, you know, just kind of keeps running along. But so, yeah, I'm living in Montana now. I started when I first moved out here, I, uh, I knew that, you know, I was turning 50 and it was actually my 50th birthday and I was moving out here. I knew the way I like to hunt elk. I usually spend somewhere between 40 to 65. This year I was about 65 days hunting elk. And I can't really do that anymore at 55, even in incredible condition. And it's not so much for the conditioning, it's the back-to-back -back wear and tear. 
it's the eating and the dehydration and the sleeping arrangements and just the constant moving around. And so the, you know, I got pack llamas. So most people know I have llamas and they have really been really the godsend for me <laughs> to do what I do. And I spend a hundred days a year in a tent, typically right around there. And between camping and family and guiding trips in Yellowstone and hunting and everything else that I like to do. So I'm super blessed in that department, but it's opened my eyes to the possibilities and just all the things that, um, that are out there. And, you know, I just decided I wanted to start sharing it. And so that's really why I created Treeline Pursuits. I had no idea what that was going to mean. And then a few years later, I started thinking about this e-scouting stuff for elk. I've just always been into it. It's been like a super passion of mine. And I started Treeline Academy about two years ago. I've been developing this course for about two years. Took me about two years to get it done. Launched last year in June. And it's been great. I, I've loved doing it. The feedback's been amazing. I mean, you're kind of struggling in the course. You can't seem to get it done. But uh, <laughs> you told me earlier, I mean, I don't know what the problem is. But uh, I just need anyway, to slow down for like real- three months so I can catch up. Right? That's all. <laughs> But it's been great. I really enjoyed it, and, I, and it's been a it's been a work of passion. And I'm I don't know. I've just really enjoyed it, and uh, so I'm gonna keep going with it. Oh yeah, dude. And anybody that doesn't know treelineacademy.org, you need to get on dot there. Net, dot net. Lucas. Dot net. You are it's, correct. Sorry. It's been so long since you've been on. You've forgotten the. No, I just dot net. Treelineacademy.net. You need to go on there. Sign up. And hey, shameless plug, PC yeah. 2020, save yourself 20 bucks, sign up for Mark's course, and uh, you can you can definitely learn from it. And like he said, he keeps adding stuff, so I can never finish the dang thing. <laughs> I just keep, it keeps evolving, but hey, you're definitely getting your money's worth. It's worth two years, right, Mark? Two years. Two years yeah. subscription if you sign up for it. You can't go wrong with that. And heck, within the next, within two years, you sign it up from right now, Mark's probably going to add another four or five days worth of content, maybe even more than that by then. So I, well, I am going to wrap this course up. I mean, I am glad you said that because I am going to wrap this up. I've got two or three more modules to go and I'm getting ready to start recording one in, in the next few days. And, but then I'm gonna start working on a mule deer and a bear course. I've gotten a <laughs> lot of questions about it. I've kind of committed to doing it. And, um, so I'm going to partner, like I mentioned before the podcast, I'm going to partner with some freaking experts on both of these areas. I'm going to approach it a little bit different as a course. We have two instructors, so to speak, and I'm really looking forward to it. It's going to be a challenge from a technical, um, kind of from the technical side to, to kind of me- kind of merge this together. But I'm looking forward to it. So that'll be coming, I hope, in the next 12 months. So will that be a separate course or will that all be inclusive with the membership now? There'll be separate courses, but I can tell you the people that took a chance and on my e-scouting course for elk are going to be, it's going to be crazy good deal for them. Okay. So um, it would be lucrative could, to sign I mean? up and yeah. They're going to be and, separate courses because I've got separate instructors. Okay. It's not just me. So there's going to be separate um, contributors but I am going to do bundles and I'm going to do a lot of different things 
with it to make it, you know, I'm, I mean, obviously this is a business, you know, Lucas, we talked about <laughs> entrepreneurship and work. This is obviously a business for me, but it's not really, my wife is always on me all the time about it actually, but, um, <laughs> business and how I'm a bad, this is a passion, <laughs> no doubt about it. And I'm not in this to make the most I can make, but it does take me a, somewhere between one to two years to get one ready to go. Um, as you know, you're only 50% through with the course. And <laughs> at one point, I was further than that, Mark. I will say <laughs> at one point, I was further than 50% until you added like six more modules to it. Well, it's always been in the plan to add those. Yeah. They've been on the agenda. <laughs> so anyway, um, yes, I'm going to, I'm going to have it. There'll be separate courses, but there'll be some great options for it. I don't know what the details are exactly yet um, on that, in that arena, but uh, it, you can rest assured it'll be a pretty sweet deal for the people that really took the chance and invested and took, you know, took this course, the East Scouting Elk course, and um, I'm going to, I'm going to really be looking to take care of those people too. If they're, if they're even interested in mule deer or elk. Who is that? I mean, you mean, I'm sorry. You mean bears. Build there bear. But, Build there bear. So. so that's why you're here today. I want to talk about bears because like I said earlier when you and I were talking about, I mean, basically our rights being chiseled at and stripped away from all angles right now, it seems, as sportsmen, hunters, uh, you know, gun owners, everything coming at it, just a culmination, everything coming at us at once and kind of coming to the realization that as a somewhat new Western hunter with not a super long, uh, history of points, you know, under my belt that I might not be able to even have an option to hunt elk every year, but I want to keep making trips out West and, you know, enjoying it's, it's, it's beauty. So I think maybe bears might, uh, have to come along into my future too. And so why not learn about it and educate the listeners as well, Mark, that's where you come in for all that bear e-scouting knowledge. Well, I don't know about that, but I can tell you a quick, I can tell you a quick story. So I like that story. <laughs> yeah. So when I moved, I haven't even, we've never, I don't think I've ever told you this story. So we moved to Montana in March. And so we got here towards the end of March and it was pretty, oh, we've been here maybe two or three weeks so we were middle of May, middle of April. You know, don't quote me on this. I don't know exactly, but we'd only been here a few weeks, and I was still I was a non-resident. Obviously, you have to live here for six months to be considered as a resident. So all of my tags that I bought that year, I mean, I don't know what I spent. It was unbelievable. I bought every tag that was available in Montana as a non-resident. So I bought a $350 bear tag and I'm going bear hunting in Montana, never hunted Montana, never spot and stalk bears, none of it. And I'm from Missouri. So I'm a, I'm a ex coyote caller. I'm, I used to love predator calling. That was one of my, <laughs> besides whitetail, that was one of my passions in, in Missouri. And, and so I, I couldn't really find much about it really online, but I decided that I was going to go bear hunting. And I was going to call one in with a predator call. <laughs> okay. And so I rolled up into the Mission Mountains. And if you anybody's from Montana, they'll know what I'm talking about. The Mission Mountains up by Flathead Lake and the up by the Bob Marshall. And 
And there's a lot of bears in that area, okay? But there's also a lot of grizzlies in that area. (laughs) So, you know, I just roll in there. And I found this, I east out of this spot, right? I had some logging areas. I had a burn. I was hunting the edges. I had these glassing spots all picked out. But when I got there, I didn't do my due diligence like I talk about in the in the elk course, I'm going to give you another example. So I looked and I saw this log out. Okay. It looked beautiful. Well, I didn't bother to look at the date and I was looking at it in, I think Gaia or on X. Okay. I didn't bother to look at it in Google earth. I was too excited about going hunting. I just looked up the spot and I'm like, look at this great log out. I'm going there. Well, end up being about a 10, 12 year old log out. So I got there. This thing was grown up. It was thick. I couldn't glass at all. And I'm so I made a huge e-scouting mistake there. <laughs> well, that's when I decided that I'm going to call in this bear. So I was driving. My, we only had one vehicle at the time. Here's my mom, my uh, wife's uh, Explorer. And it's four-wheel drive, but I got that thing up there in a pretty rough spot. <laughs> and I get out. And I go up into the mountains there and I'm, I'm set and I found this beautiful spot and I called for about 30 minutes, nothing. And I moved to my second spot. Okay. Remember I literally my second ever set up in Montana. I set up and I start calling and I've got my head on it. So I'm not being stupid about this. Well, I kind of was, but I'm looking, I'm keeping my eyes open 360. I got a good view. I can see about 200 yards, every direction. And I'm making, you know, I'm kind of worried about grizzlies, obviously. So I start hammering on this call and I'm about 30 minutes in and I'm exhausted. So when you're calling bears, you have to stay on the call all the time. There is no break. Okay. It's a little different than Kyle calling. The way I read it and the way I understand it from a lot of guys that have written some stuff that I've now done a lot of research is you have to be just nonstop and you have to give it about 30, 45 minutes sometimes. So I don't know if you've ever blown a predator call with a mouth call for 30 solid minutes, but it'll wear you out. <laughs> so anyway, I'm 30 minutes into this call, I'm sweating. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, nothing. So I reach over to grab my backpack, my gun's on the ground, and I look up, I'll make this story short. And this black bowling ball is coming down the mountainside on a full bore run. <laughs> and I'm like, what is that? And it didn't even register right off the bat. Cause he was about three or 400 yards away. I was like, what is that? And this, thing, <laughs> then it hits me. I'm like, Oh crap. I didn't say crap, but <laughs> that bear was barreling down on me and he knew exactly where that call was coming from. And he went into this ditch in front of me about 200 yards in front of me. And when he went into the ditch, I grabbed the gun. I was shooting a 338 wind mag at the time and I got ready and that bear went down in that ditch and I, I didn't see him, didn't see him, didn't see him. And now I'm starting to worry. I'm like, where'd he go? Where'd he go? And I'm looking around and he busts up out of that ditch, jumps over this log and runs to about 75 yards of me and just slams on the brakes, sl- literally slides in the dirt, stands up on his hind legs and he's just looking. And I'm like, I'm, I got the gun up. And I can't, he's in the, he's in all these log trees. I don't have a good shot and I'm trying to get a shot. I'm moving around a little bears. Don't see all that great, but they can pick up movement. I'm trying to move. And 
But anyway, he drops back down, and here he comes again. He is just straight running straight to me. <laughs> and I pulled the gun up, and I shot him straight up at about 15 yards. And when I shot him, he rolled over backwards. I bolted another bullet in, and he laid there like he was kind of dead for like a few seconds. And then he jumps up, and he's running. He's not running at me. He's running kind of beside. I can tell by the way he's looking. He's not coming at me. But my second shot, I ended up, I put the muzzle. It didn't touch him, but it it was inches. And I couldn't look through the sky. I just held the gun out. And when he went by me, I shot him a second time right in the the back. (laughs) And uh, I killed my first bear. So (laughs) I skinned that thing out, took it home, packed me up. took me four trips to get that bear out. And I go check it in, and the guys at the check station were like, dude, where in the world did you get this bear? I had it in a big cooler. Where'd you get this bear? And I was like, told them. And they said, this is a really big bear for this area. I'm like, oh, I, don't, I don't know anything about it. It just, he seemed big. <laughs> and so they were, how did you get this? So I told them the story about calling this bear. And they're like, son, you know that there's other bears up there besides black bears, right? I'm like, yeah, yeah, I know. You know that's probably not a good idea, right? Yeah, I probably isn't. And they just they could not get over that I called this bear in but with a predator call. <laughs> so fast forward that night, we went out to dinner in Missoula and we were walking down the sidewalk. <laughs> and these two guys that checked my bear were on the other side of the street with a bunch of other guys. And my wife and I were walking on this side, and they start yelling across the road, because there's the guy I called the bear in. And um so anyway, I guess I've got to known for taking <laughs> some chances on. Now, I don't call so much anymore in grizzly country um, as I used to the first few years, but I really love um, the thrill of calling bears, but I am getting more into spot and stalk and kind of glassing for bears now too. No, that's <laughs> <laughs> so messed up. That's not, only, that's not only, that's not only the exciting close encounter you've had i mean the other story i heard what was it last year that was this year this year i wounded a bear and had to shoot him well it was last year now but yeah well last year yeah yeah that bear i shot wounded long you know short story i wounded him tracked him he was in a in a in a willow patch wasn't coming out i had to go i was going to go in and get him i didn't have my pistol like a dumbass didn't have my (laughs) pistol it was getting dark and I decided to wade in there. And right when I got the edge, this bear came charging out at me. And I had to shoot him same way, point blank. And uh, he climbed a tree right beside me. He actually, when I hit him, he tried to climb a tree right beside me. And he got up a few feet and fell back down. I thought he was coming at me again and then just fell over dead. So so I've had two pretty exciting close calls with black bears. But uh, <laughs> I think man, you kind of gave, I, gave I, away I, the I best. Love. You left out the best part. <laughs> <laughs> tell them tell them uh tell them why why you weren't ready for the bear the second time <laughs> well, I, was, I was trying <laughs> well i was trying you know you, you got to do everything for the for the gram and uh i was trying to film it and i thought it would be a cool video i actually got the audio on video because i dropped my phone <laughs> but i do have the audio and i put some of the audio up on my instagram page <laughs> But of this bear growling, and and I thought it was a death moan, Lucas. I mean, I've killed a <laughs> few bears. It kind of sounded okay? like it, but it was and still pretty aggressive. when you shoot a bear, a lot of times they'll do this death moan when they're dying. And that's exactly what it sounded like. So I thought, oh, he's dying. 
I'm just going to go in there. Well, he wasn't dying. And he was just, <laughs> I, don't know, he, I don't know what he was doing. He was growling at some deep guttural level and I was filming it. And I, now let's, let's picture this. Okay. I got a <laughs> rifle and a cell phone and I'm left-handed. So I'm trying to hold the phone and a right-handed gun. It was not working out very good. And I'm in close quarters. And when this bear comes running out, I drop the phone. I barely get the gun up, shoot him at point blank range. And then he goes up a tree, literally about a foot away from me. So I back up away from the tree and he falls out of the tree and runs back. But right before he goes back in the, in the thicket, he turns around and he's looking this time. He's looking at me with blood in his eyes. He's like, I am this time. I'm going to eat you. The first time I'm going to be, I'm, I don't want to make it. I like to make it sensational, but I'm telling you, he was not coming after me. He just was trying to get out of that spot. He was not trying to attack me. I don't think so anyway, but that <laughs> second time I could tell the look in his eye, he was coming after me and he just finally, he, for, he started shaking and then he just tipped over dead. The second bullet did his job. So <laughs> geez. Well, I, well, I was, I was going to have to beat this bear. I, I didn't tell though. I don't want to get yeah, the you whole didn't say story. that part, but <laughs> my gun jammed on top of that. After the shot, I was using my wife's gun. Because my gun, I had a scope problem with her gun. So I was using her gun. So I had to flip the gun around and hold it by the barrel. I was going to beat, I was going to have to beat this bear with a $2,000 gun. And my wife was going to have a fit. And, but that's where I was. I, I was using the gun as a club when that, when that bear finally tipped over. <laughs> so that being said, bear hunting does have its <laughs> definite. Man, it's adrenaline packed. You, you know, bear hunting is 99% boredom and 1% excitement. Pure <laughs> adrenaline. Yeah. Oh, man. All right. So great stories, Mark. I always like listening to those. And you're right now. I never heard that first story, but that's uh, definitely a good one. Yeah, that too. was a good story. That's That was my welcome. That was my first big game tag that I filled in the state of Montana was a bear tag. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> so with that being said, then like, um, let's kind of get into the whole e-scouting thing a little bit, but like, have you taken pretty much the elk hunting stuff and just applied it to, or was there some new stuff that you kind of had to learn along the way for bears? Like what, what, what is the major differences and then how can you apply what most people have already learned, especially if they've taken your course, what they've learned? Well, what's really interesting about, about that question is just about every feature of e-scouting that we use or teach or probably that a lot of you already know about, a lot of those features are directly applicable to bear hunting. It's just the way you use them. So we can talk about a lot of examples, but one really good example is, and, and mainly because it's fresh in my mind, is... I'm finishing up the late season uh, e-scout elk e-scouting module right now. So there's so many things in the late season aspects of looking for elk that apply to the spring aspects of looking for bears. So the way I like to look for bears and the way I approach bear hunting is I need to know where that snow is. So in Montana, those bears or anywhere, I think this is my, again, 
I'm, I think I'm a pretty good bear hunter. I've got some pretty nice bears skinned out in my house, but I'm certainly not saying I'm an expert at bear hunting by any shade of the imagination. I'm going to tell you what I know. I'm going to tell you what works for me. And it also works for a lot of other guys, you know, that I'm friends with, for example, I'm friends with Brian Collin, Ryan Lamper is pretty good friends with Ryan. And his approach to bear hunting is pretty much the way I'd like to approach it too, except they like to go really deep and they stay for really long times and they do it entirely backpacking. Uh, I do it with llamas. I do it a little bit, a little more um, gentleman style in comfort <laughs> compared to those guys. But so when it comes to finding bears, um, all of those tactics are usable. It's just how they're used. And the example I was just getting ready to talk about this late season. So when I approach late season elk e-scouting, I am looking at the snow from a point of how deep is the snow? At what point is it going to be pushing the elk down? Where is the where is the depth zones of this snow? How does it work with the other elk finding features? You know, the meadows, the feeding zones, the the edge habitat, the the burned areas or the beetle kills or the sparse timber, all the things that that attract and hold elk. In the late season, elk kind of change gears like they their rut is passed. They've gone into this security mode. Security is really high on the need list. But food is also really high on the need list because they're they're replenishing themselves, okay? So the snow layer is really important to me when I'm trying to find late season elk hunting spots. I need and the problem with e-scouting for late season elk hunting spots is that you can't really do it six months in advance. You can find your core hunt areas, okay? But where they're going to be in that elevation band within that hunt area will sometimes be dictated by the weather, the snow cover. The, the prolonged temperatures, there's just a lot of factors. Well, in bear hunting, the way I approach bear hunting, same way, except I'm applying that same strategy. I'm looking for the snow lines and the snow bands, but what I'm really looking for is that 500 to 750 feet in elevation below the snow line. If you Bears will spend a lot of time right on the snow line. They'll be, even be up in the snow, but... There's no guarantees on anything, obviously, hunting. But I have found that when that grass, once the snow melts and it recedes up the mountain, it takes a, a while. You know, I don't know the time, but there's a period of time before it starts to really turn green. Because, you know, once the snow melts, it's all brown and nasty and slimy and everything just looks dead right at the snow line. But about 500 to 700 feet below that band is where you're going to start to see that newest green shoots. And those bears key on in. It's like crack um, for those bears. So I try to set up my glassing. I try to set up my calling sequences all around that band. And usually in different areas um, are different, but I'm looking for that 500 to 750 feet usually. But again, focusing in on the that neon green. And that band is where I want to spend my time. And so how do you find that band? Let's say you're coming from Illinois, from Missouri, from you're going to come out bear hunting because you can't get a elk tag. It's <laughs> yeah, um, coming to that, might, I'm telling you. <laughs> which might be the case. Um, there's so many tools. And, you know, I, 
is there's probably too many to cover, but I'm gonna if you make sure you got your pencil ready. I'm gonna throw some things out. <laughs> People can write them down and then check them out later because we're not gonna be able to vet all these out. So, kind of the first thing that I start with is with Google Earth. I will use. It's called a. It's it's from the weather. It's the National Weather Service. It's the snow model snapshot. I call it the snow model snapshot. It's the N O H R S C snow model snapshot. Okay. So maybe we can put a link. You do show notes, Lucas. I can do them. Yep. Okay. I'll send you a link where guys can download what you can do with. This is really great, man. If you're not using this for elk and you're not using this for bears, you should be. And I hate to give out these great tips like this. They should have to join the course to get it. They should. They're going to get it on your podcast. So we're going to give a link to this. (laughs) If you're not using it, you should be. But you're going to download this KML file. So when you go to the website, it's got all kinds of interactive stuff on the website, which is great. You can use it from the website. But if you download this KML file, it's a very unique KML file. It is a live updated refreshed file. What I mean by that, it's a direct link, okay? So it's not like a traditional KML file where, like for example, if you download the fire layer, in my course I show you how to do, to download all the fires that have happened since the 1980s, and you can put those in Google Earth. I teach you how to do that. Well, this file is a little different because the data doesn't come with this file. This is just direct links to the data, and they're in KMZ format, which, Google Earth can read KMZ, KML, and it's a great, um, it's a great tool. So I've got it up on my computer right now, and, and so I just opened it up, and the date, the last date was twelve thirteen, that it was updated, which is today, and it shows one, two, three, four. There's eleven factors. There's eleven snow settings, or I'm sorry, not settings. There's 11 different options that you can select. And the one that I use the most, I'm not going to go through them all, but the one I use the most is the snow depth. And everybody's like, well, how do they know how deep the snow is? I don't know how they know. I wish I could tell you the science behind this. And maybe some meteorologist will comment on your podcast and tell us how. I think <laughs> it's done with infrared temperature. Um, some, Anyway. There you I go, nerding out on thing. it. So, yeah, yeah I got to know. I'm going to have to know eventually. So that's just the way I'm wired. But when I started using this two or three years ago, I went to this lake. We were going to drive up to this lake, which was a dead end, and we were going to bear hunt from there. And I pulled this up on the day we were leaving. That's the one thing about it. You got to pull it. This got to be recent. He's got here. I pulled it up. I did some studying. It said that the snow was one to two inches right at the border of this lake it's like oh i'm like perfect we can get we can drive there there won't be any snow on the way up i said we can get there and then we can hunt the band i'll be damned we drove up there and that snow was right to the lake perfect it was identical to what this layer showed it was that's when i was sold on it now i know there's probably some times it's going to be off but I, I look at it all the time. So right now, I'm working on the late season elk module, like I mentioned. So I'm doing a bunch of examples. So we just got a bunch of snow at our house here in Missoula. Well, we're up about 600 feet or somewhere like that above the city. 
So I pulled up this layer just yesterday, day before. Sure enough, it says we got six to eight inches by the color. It's all color coded. And it says we're in that six to eight inch band. And that's exactly about where we're at. <laughs> it is remarkably accurate. So that's a great tool. We'll, we'll move on from that tool. Unless you've got any comments about that one. <laughs> nope. I think you pretty that's much covered that for sure. That tool, works, <laughs> that tool works with Google Earth Pro. Once you install it, you always have it. So the great thing about it, since it's a live file, you don't have to go back and get it for the latest version. It just sits there and every day it updates. And so it's a great, it's a great, and it's small. So one of the problems with Google Earth, I don't want to get too in the weeds, is you got to be careful how many KML files you have installed because it can start causing crashing problems with your Google Earth, with Google Earth Pro. So this file is really nice because it's really small because there's no data. It only presents the data when you call it up based on the view that you have on your screen, you know, based on the, what you're looking at. It only pulls the data for what you're looking at. So it's really great. So the next one that I want to mention is in Gaia GPS. You know, I talk about Gaia GPS all the time in my course. I'm a huge fan of it. It's not the only tool, but I will tell you it's my it's one of my go-tos. I love Gaia. I love OnX. I love Basemap. I I even like the new Go Hunt web-based platform for some things i think their topo layer is one of the best for go hunt so my point is i say this all the time lucas i am a proponent of don't get one dimensional don't be in the one camp where i'm a i'm a on x guy i'm a i'm a i bleed on x <laughs> I mean, that's fine i guess nothing wrong with that but i'm i'm a guy that says hey these systems are not that expensive really for what you're getting if you love elk hunting and bear as much as i do 25 dollars. come on i mean that's not even a half a box of shells right now <laughs> um so i'm a big proponent of using the right tool for the job and in this in my course i talk about that probably till people are sick of hearing it and i just did a new video that's going to drop tomorrow by the time you uh probably post this podcast it'll be out on a great Great new feature in Onyx Maps. Nobody has it. Nobody has this feature. Onyx is the only one to have it. And I think Onyx is a little limited with features sometimes, but this one is a rock star for the things I like to do and the way I like to approach e-scouting. So again, I'm not going to get in the weeds. That's just a little teaser. Um, <laughs> but Gaia, when it comes to snow and it comes to bear hunting, and it comes to late season elk hunting, it is the go-to app. I'm just telling you right now, don't look at any of the other apps. They're useless um, when it comes to this. It's that good. So Gaia has, and mainly because Gaia is not really a hunting app. Hunting is a new component of what their mission is, okay? Hunting has not always been part of the mission at Gaia. I talked to the owner of Gaia when I first found Gaia, and I started really using it. And I started writing articles about it. He sent me an email. I said, hey, thank you for mentioning the article, this hunting article. I'm a new hunter. I want to add more hunting functionality into this platform. And him and I, have, we've stayed in contact ever since. And they have a dramatically expanded their hunting tool set. But so when it comes to snow, Gaia has a lot of features in there. It has the snow depth that we just said. So 
when you install that KML file that we just talked about in Google Earth Pro, they have the same layer as a layer. It's only snow depth though in Gaia, but it's the same data source. And so you can look at the snow depth. What I really like about Gaia as well is you can adjust the transparency on every level layer. So you can turn it up and down so you can see the terrain. So you, you see what I'm saying here. You can turn it up enough where you can just see the snow, yep. but you can also see the aerial photo below it. Really great tactic when you're looking for bears. And so the snow depth tool from the NOAA uh, is a layer that's available in Gaia. As far as I know, it's not available in any other hunt platform. <clears throat> the next thing they have is these snow stations. So they have all of the snow stations, I think, in the in the in the North America. And you can click on that snow station. It will give you all the details, snow depths, current snow, how much snow they've had in 24 hours. So if you happen to be hunting near one of these stations for bears, you can get the real-time data right as a layer. It's really nice. But that layer only works if you have cell service because it's drawing in. We were just talking about the uh, smart waypoints in yep. base map, which yep. I love. I love. I'm evaluating base map right now. But it works very similar. You click on that 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 snow station, and it you know it extracts the current data for it. So the next thing that guy has that I use in, they've got the 24, 48 and 72 hour snow forecast. Now this is probably not as, as important with bear hunting because in the spring, hopefully that period of time is kind of over, but you never know in April and May, let's just be honest. So I love being able to look at the layers on where the snow is happening, where it's going to be happening and getting it out to 72 hours. So between the snow depth, the snow stations and the three different forecasting layers, Guy really has some tools that are pretty valuable for bear hunting. And then you couple that with that KML tool that I told you you can install into Google Earth and you've got a pretty sophisticated system to start finding places that are on that snow band. Uh, like, it, you know, and one of the things is, you know, I talk, I'm talking about this in the late season module. I try to find for bears, I try to find hunt areas and I try to define a hunt area. And if you, if you're taking the course, you know what I'm talking about. When I say hunt area, the area that I'm going to focus in on, it could be a 10 mile, it could be a seven mile, it could be a whatever, but it's not a 50 mile. Okay. I look for a hunt area that has a range of elevation. The reason I do that is because I know that when it's time to actually go hunt bears in that area, I'm going to have to see where that snow band is. Does that make sense? So that if I've got that range of elevation already pre-planned out in my hunt area, wherever that snow band is, is where I feel those bears are going to concentrate or be concentrated. So I don't know if that made sense or if I explained that very well, but that's kind of my approach on analyzing the snow bands and how I look at separate hunt areas. We can talk about features I look for, but just in general from a hunt area, I'm looking for variations in elevation. I don't want to get in a spot that's the same elevation if I can, because if it's all 7,000 feet and it's all buried in snow by the time April 15th or April 30th rolls around, that's not going to be the most optimal hunt area. So I, 
I will add one more thing. I'm sorry I'm talking so much here, but no. <laughs> when it comes just... to hunt areas, when it comes to hunt areas for bears, the next thing I do is very similar to what I do with elk. I talk about in my elk course, you should go on a you should when you embark on a on a hunt and you've got your master hunt plan, you should have three to five separate and distinct hunt areas all worked out. Okay. All offline maps downloaded. You've got all your elk finding features. You've got all your routes, all your campsites, all the feet things we talk about in the course. You've got that all done for three to five different hunt areas. Now, that is a lot of work, guys. I know it's a lot of work. But do you want to be a 10% elk hunter like the average? Or do you want to be 50%? Or you want to be 60%? I want to be you 100, to Mark. That, <laughs> well, you have to make that decision. If you're going to be 100%, and I know guys that are, I'm not quite hundred percent in Montana now. <laughs> and over my 30 years, I'm, I'm not even nowhere near a hundred. I think I've kind of looked back one time. I think I'm around that 50 to 60% range for the past 30 years, somewhere in there, which isn't nothing to brag about, but it's way better than the average. Yeah. And lately I've been even better than that. But the point is, and I'm not bragging about that, but it, the more prepared you are, the better your odds are. It's just that simple. I don't know what else to tell you. If you want to, if you want to take a shortcut and you want to half-ass it, then you're going to be closer to the 10%. If you want to be next level, if you want to be Ryan Lampers <laughs> and kill a giant bull on every freaking trip, yep. then you're going to have to start hunting like Ryan Lampers. <laughs> that dude researches and researches and researches. Not only does he research, he's just a freaking stone cold killer. Let's just let's just yeah. be honest. The man's a predator. I mean, I don't even know what I'm not even going to, I don't want to even inflate his ego even more than I already have. <laughs> so and, yeah, uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll but, get back to the, <laughs> yeah. So it's important. I mean, if you want to approach it um, that way, I think you're going to start seeing success and the same applies to bear hunting. And it, let's be honest, bears percentages guys are less than elk as far as harvest. I think in, in Montana, I, I'm going to just go out on a limb. I, I think they're in the 2 to 5% range. It's it's dismal as far as percentages. We we don't allow baiting. We we don't allow dogs. And we've got some thick country here, okay? They thrive in those log, those, that thick country. And we've got a lot of animals, you know, for them to eat and a lot of food for them to eat. Including. So the bear population is really pretty healthy in Montana, but it's not a piece of cake by any shade of the imagination. But Mark, they so, do let you blow on a predator call, blow your lungs out they do, <laughs> until they one do. comes charging down the hill. So, <laughs> And you can't use electronic calls. Oh, So that's why you have to blow on the call in Montana. If for 45 minutes. <laughs> for 45 minutes. But in Idaho, where I really, I love to hunt bears over there too, you can use electronic calls. So I do use electronic call over there. It's much safer. <laughs> yeah, you can put it out but, in front of you a little bit. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's a great strategy. So here's kind of the, what I do. You know, my typical bear hunting day is I will glass in the morning until it warms up enough where the bears might not be out as much. Then I'll start calling all day. I'll move sequences and do call sequences throughout the day. And then in the afternoons, now, I'm glassing as much as I can, you know, the whole time, but then I'll switch back to glassing um, in the evenings. I will even call sometimes 
from a glassing position. And not that I'm trying to call the bear in, but I'm trying to get it to show itself. I'm trying to, because sometimes these bears, they're very difficult to call. But they will respond to the call. I can't tell you how many bears I have called that have shown themselves, but not came to me. You know, not came. But all I need is to get eyes on them, and then I can make an adjustment. So I do use that strategy quite a bit. Um, but I don't want to, you know, I want to be careful about what I'm telling people to do because in certain <laughs> places you have to be extremely careful guys. I, I know where I'm making fun of it, but it is no joke. You're blowing on a dying animal call in grizzly country. Bad things can happen. Yeah. So just use, use caution. So with that being said though, and kind of talking about you finding the snow bands and trying to find, you know, obviously where the snow is lighter to where your green's starting to poke through and you're getting, getting all that lush vegetation and stuff. What, what are you looking for when you're, when you're looking on these maps to try and find what that bear is seeking other than obviously when you, when you mentioned the green, but like you always hear people and I've talked to people before and they say, you know, find the berries and you're going to find the bear. But how do you find that? What are you, what are you looking at? Well, in the spring, you're not going to find the berries. Um, that's the thing. Depends off your hunting spring or fall. The spring, there will be no berries, um, but they will be just gorging themselves on that green grass. And, you know, the greener, it's kind of strange if you really, most of the time, these forbs will start to grow up through the ground. These, you know, tubular type plants, the forbs, uh, before the grass comes, these 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 forbs start flowering plants, whatever, <laughs> start, busting through, start busting through the ground. And I find, man, the bears really key in on those things. And um, and then the grass follows. It's really kind of bizarre. When you get up on that band, you can literally just walk along and see the transition. And a lot of it, a lot of it, Lucas, depends too on this is where e-scouting comes in. If you're going to really geek out, you want to study the snow levels and make notes of them, or maybe even put a drop a pin and do it on a weekly basis. For the two or three weeks before you go. I do this sometimes. I should do it more than I do it because I get busy. Sometimes I don't do it. But if you're really, really wanting to maximize your bear hunt, this is a strategy that you can do. So you're going to look at the snow layer and you're going to drop a pin on the edge you know, where the snow is ending. And then you're going to, a few days later, a week later, you're going to drop another. And you're going to see how much receding you're getting. Does that make sense? Because yeah. remember, this is a live layer. So you're not going to be able to go back and see historically where the snow was on different dates. Now, I think you can do that from the website, but I, you won't be able to do it from the live layer. But anyway, by, if you want to call it testing or by documenting the snow retreat, it's also going to give you a little indication how long this ground has been exposed. It, if it's been exposed a week without snow, I don't know that it's at that altitude, at a 5,000, 6,000, 4,000 foot altitude, I don't know that it's going to be lush green yet. Yeah, probably not. Yeah. It's, there's going to be maybe a few things popping through, but if it's been two weeks or two and a half weeks, you're getting where there probably is. So you see where I'm leading onto this. There's some real value in tracking that snow retreat in your hunt areas where you think bears are. 
you know, if you're going to glass bears, obviously, you've got to look for areas that you can get into vantage spots and see some open country, more open country. Or where I really like to glass bears is in sparse timber. I and and where the where there's or in beetle kills or in fire zones that have grown older fires that have grown even newer fires for that matter. But I love these areas where there's been a disruption in the canopy, in the tree canopy. There's been a disruption of some kind, either thinning, logging, thinning, fire, beetle kills, all these things combined where the light can come through once that snow retreats and creates that grass, that really neon colored grass. And so that's what I like to key in on. And so when I set up my glassing spots and I start testing my glassing spots, I want to make sure that I can see not only do I want to see open areas or sparse timber or uh, beetle kill, it being able to peer into those patches, but you mentioned this before too, guys, this is just, this is bears are, they key in on this too, just like elk. They love that transitional zone between if you can find the lines in Google earth or in the aerial using aerial photo, and you can see a line where the habitat changes from, let's call it a, a darker timber where you can't see the ground in the aerial photo. And then all of a sudden you're out into a beetle kill or a sparse timber, or maybe even a burn, whatever where now you can see the ground, I want to make sure when I set up my glassing spots that I can see that edge habitat in addition to some open areas. Because those bears are going to show themselves, obviously. They could show themselves first right in those edge environments. And I just looked at a study, and this is going to be the same for elk as it is for bears, of course. 50% of the vegetation grows within 50 yards of the edge of a, of a habitat. It's crazy. I'm sorry, not 50% of the total. 50% of the variety of vegetation grows within 50 yards in and out of that edge environment. The further you get away from the edge, the less variety. And elk and bears love variety. They'll eat anything and they'll be happy with it, but if they can pick, it's like going to the candy store. You only want to eat candy canes? No, I'd rather have candy canes, strawberry covered, <laughs> chocolate covered strawberries, maybe some bonbons, um, whatever. Peanut butter cups. <laughs> I, I, butter, I mean, look at me. I'm not the skinniest elk hunter in the world. So, but you get my point here. You're, you're, you're picking your environment because there's lots of options. But with bears in the spring, I think one of the key options is the ground cover has to be open enough. And I don't want to say the word bear, but I'm going to use it because I can't think of a better word, but bare enough <laughs> to get that fresh green shoots to grow up through. And that's a gold zone for bears. That's good stuff. That's I don't know if that stuff. makes No, it totally I does. I kind of, I kind of, yeah. I mean, now here's where the whole foraging thing comes in, right? You know, like. Right the forager and me you know you got your open stuff to where i i don't i don't know the terms or whatever but because i'm not that cool and don't really know that much about foraging yet but your your open grasses and things like that to where the light kills off certain things where you know it's not filtered enough to where right your different things are growing and stuff like that and then there's a rhizomatic something or rather 
thing going on to where a plant will actually produce something to kill off the other things. And then you get that shade and it allows it to grow any way through that. And it's, you know, like the perfect little area. But. Well, you know, in Montana, I, this is not true to every location, but in, in some of these semi-arid and even, you know, in Colorado, even I have found that some of the, like you just said, I don't know the technical of it, but this is just from 30 years of chasing critters. When you've got tree cover, canopy that is sparse enough that to provide both shade and light you get absolutely more growth like waste deep grasses and you get out in the open the wide open of the sun and it's it's nothing compared to so i'm just going to tell you one of my favorite places to hunt elk is beetle kills and there's plenty of them nowadays and i think that well colorado you could say the whole state's a beetle kill. So I guess it's hard to, it's hard to hunt beetle kills when the entire state is beetle kill. But in Montana, we have a lot of beetle kills, but nothing on this, nothing on the level of, uh, of Colorado, but I love beetle kills and I like beetle kills for bears too. Now they have to be the right beetle kill. And in the course, in the East guiding course, I talk about this. You talk about how this stuff applies. I spend a good hour in this entire module. module. Yeah. I don't know if you've gotten to that one yet. I don't yeah. think you have. But how to study the denseness of the timber. How to look at historical timeline sliders in Google Earth. Because everybody knows in Google Earth, you can look at the historical timeline slider where you can look at a, let's say it's a 2019 image, and then there might be a 2016 image, then there might be a 2012 image, right? Yep. And so in that module, I talk about you got to go back in that slider to the moment you can see the brown trees, that brown phase is within one to two years, possibly three, of the initial beetle infestation. It's that gold color. It's that brown color. It's the pine needles, the conifer trees that are turning brown. Okay? They haven't dropped their pine needles yet. So once it gets to about five years, I'm sorry, once it gets to about three years, those beetle kill trees, depending on, you know, kind of what kind of beetle it is, but I'm talking in in generalities here, those needles will start to come off. So when you look at an image and you see some dead trees standing and you're like, I'm going to go hunt that spot. Well, my advice is you need to look a little further into that because let's say you're looking at an image from 2016, Lucas, and it looks amazing. All these dead trees are standing and you can see the ground, and it's just green as a gourd. It just looks amazing. Well, that was, uh, what, six years ago? Yeah, a lot so changes you, from that. If you to... go to that spot right now, after six years, all those trees could be on the ground. It looks like a graveyard with a bunch of matchsticks everywhere. You, it's <laughs> be almost, it could be almost impenetrable from yeah. a hunting standpoint. I've gotten in myself into those situations plenty of times. So what I recommend you do, same with bear hunting, it's all plies, guys, is you see an area that has dead trees and they're still standing and it looks good. Find out how old it is. And how you do that is you jump into Google Earth Pro. It's the only app you can do it in, guys. You can't do it in OnX. Can't do it in BaseMap. Can't do it in Gaia. Can't do it in Go Hunt. Can't do it anywhere. Why can't you? Because they do not publish the dates of their images. Sometimes if you zoom in, 
sometimes if you zoom in really close on the image, you can see like Depart U.S. Department of Agriculture, 2014, 20, yeah, you know, yeah. 20, whatever. But yeah, but, but yeah, they don't publish all it. The and see, this is something that I didn't know before I started the course, but I have found that the aerial imagery in these hunt platforms, okay, is significantly, I mean, in most cases, not every, but in most cases, very significant older than what's available in google earth yep because i didn't know this i'm gonna i'm gonna probably drop a bombshell on some guys right now here too <laughs> i did not know this either but these hunt platforms and google earth pro all buy their images got google earth but google earth does not take their own photos i didn't know that i thought they were i thought they did their own aerial photos but they buy them well, I don't know if they buy them, but they obtain them from third-party satellite services, okay? There's companies that have satellites flying around, taking imagery and selling those images. And that's how Gaia, Onyx, Basemap, all these get their images. And you might think that they're the same. They're not. When you start looking at it, all you got to do is pick a parking lot. I'm just going to give you a test. Pick a parking lot or a trailhead or pick somewhere where you can see where there's a vehicle or something like that and look at it in all these hunt applications. You're going to see some that have one car. You're going to see some with no cars. You're going to see some with two cars. And what that tells you is they're all different times, different years, different who knows what, but you don't know. So that's why I always default back to Google Earth Pro when it comes to those kinds of scenarios because you're able to look at the dates and you're able to look at those historical Imagery, even though that historical imagery isn't as good of resolution, it's still going to help you paint the picture for a beetle kill and how old it is. And in most cases, like if it's a the pine beetle, guys, that timber will stand unless there's a, a wind event or a big storm event or something. I mean, 15 years is kind of pushing it. So that's kind of a, I don't know if that's a rule of thumb, but if it's seven, six years old, I'm feeling pretty good that it's going to be still standing. Still going to look like it looks in that image. But if it's 15 years old, 17 years old, yeah. I'm going to get nervous that when I get there, that stuff's going to be on the ground. I'm sorry that was a long-winded, but that was really an important key element. I hope you absorbed that. I actually have been using what you just talked about for looking at, like, parking lots like you talked about to see how crowded it is during like mushroom hunting turkey hunting you know just to get a feel for okay how many people are actually you know in this area doing that so it works for that too that's so just funny kind of did you did you get that from my course or have you always done that no i got it from your course because <laughs> i talk about that a lot so i analyze trailheads and access points and dead ends and i look at as many dates of photos as i possibly can if you pull it up on September 15th and there's no cars there, I'm, I'm interested. Yeah. That doesn't mean there's not going to be cars there, guys. I mean, come on. But on a September 15th, aerial photo, middle of elk season, there's not a single car there. Well, maybe it's because there's no elk there. That's the first thing you may want to may want to <laughs> think about. But, uh, <laughs> but it's a really clever tactic that not a lot of guys use, utilize. Because, so, last thing I'll say about that, Lucas, is if you, here's an example of why you don't want to become one-dimensional. If you only used 
Gaia GPS, and that's all you used, even though I do like it. But if I was one-dimensional with that tool, I would be at the mercy of their one aerial photo for that area. Whatever year they got it, that's what I got. But if I used Onyx, I would have a different view. I would have base map, I'd have a different one. And then for sure, if you use Google Earth, you got several. So I think I'm making my point pretty clear here. And uh, But more the more tools you apply, especially with bear hunting, especially when you're trying to find snow layers, especially when you're trying to find good feeding zones. And I told you before we got on the, I think before we started the podcast, I, my first bear hunt, the one I told you the story about calling the bear in, one of the reasons I had to call that bear in was because I made a mistake with my e-scouting. <laughs> I saw this beautiful log out. It was beautiful. Cut to the ground, cleared log out. It was green as a gourd. I'm like, there's going to be bears all over this thing. So I picked a high vantage spot, drove out there, and the dang thing had six foot um, pine trees growing every six inches. <laughs> so I'm sure there was bears there, but I couldn't see them. There was bear scat all over the roads, but there's almost impossible to glass them. So I started calling them. And so, but my point was, if I would have done what I just told you, the whole scenario I just laid out, I would have uncovered that that log out was not as new as it looked in the image that I looked at. Yeah. And now I've even gone further. So there's a layer that you can download. There's an allotment layer that you can get for Google Earth Pro that shows you all of the timber harvest in the whole United States. And it shows you when they were harvested, what type of harvesting. Now, Onyx has a nice timber layer too. Gaia has a timber layer as well. But if you study the timber layer in Gaia, you study the timbered layer in Onyx, and then you supplementally back it up with the timbered layer in Google Earth Pro, you've got a winning combination when it comes to analyzing timber cuts. I think timber cuts are one of the most attractive places for bears. So they when you say timber, lot. like what type of timber cut, Mark? Are you talking like clear cut versus selective logging? Well, well, or? If they're, if I'm looking for sun to hit the ground, okay? I don't know. I don't. It doesn't have to be a clear cut, but it has to be a thinning operation that's significant, um, or it has to be an old clear cut that is maybe burnt yep. or reburnt. We're starting to see a lot of that now in the West, and but what I'm really looking for is, can I see the freaking ground? When I get to my glassing spot, is the is the repro or the regrowth going to be at a level that's conducive? to even seeing a bear. You can spend an entire freaking day or two or a week investing in a spot that's almost impossible to hunt. <laughs> I, that's, I did. I mean, I had to switch gears and start calling them. Got a little exciting. But <laughs> um, because I didn't plan to do that. Yeah. That wasn't my original strategy. I had it in the back of my mind that I wanted to do it. I had my call with me, obviously. <laughs> I mean, what good Missouri boy would ever be caught dead without a rabbit call in his pocket? Um, so, but I went there to glass and I climbed up all the way up these glassing spots and I'm like, what in the hell? And it so, was very disappointing. And with I, that being I, said, Mark, I uh, got to ask you though, did you, did you, uh, did you ever go across the state line and go into Arkansas and hump bears or no, when, it, when you're when down I, there? So 
It was funny you said because I used to. So I'm from Springfield, Missouri. For you Midwesters that are listening, I, I most of my life I was in Columbia, Missouri, but I grew up in Springfield. So my family we hunted down right on the Arkansas border, down by Bull Shoals Lake. Like my whole lot, my whole young career until I was, you know, in my early teens. Man, I just hammered the mountains down there. Taney County, everybody's down. They'll know what I'm talking about. Big national forest, a lot of people, almost no deer. Um, I mean, that's not true. There's deer down there. Um, but the deer are hard to come by down there. According and, to your brother, there's some pretty big ones. Just, well, now, uh, my brother doesn't kill his big deer down there. <laughs> He's up by St. Louis. Okay. But um, the bears were just starting to get be seen. People were running into them um, back in the 80s and, you know, even pre-80s in the 70s, 80s, when I grew up and was hunting down there. You got to remember, Lou, because I graduated in I 1984. Old, yeah. <laughs> so I quit hunting there in a, in, the, in the mid, I might have been back maybe in the late 80s, but the 80s were my last time I was there. So they were making a comeback then, but I guess they're pretty thick now. I don't yeah, know. That's what Some I of the biggest bears in the country are killed in Arkansas. They, they cool. just eat those acorns and just get huge. Yeah. That's pretty cool. No, I didn't know. I didn't know whether or not you ever hunted them no, there or not. I had no, to ask. I never did. But I think I, you know, I might go back there now and uh, someday and uh, and give bear hunting a shot there. I've been I'll, talking I'll about be it. Close. It's only fall. It's only fall there. Oh, it so is only it, fall. Okay, it might cut into your. Uh, I'm not going to be doing that then. Yeah. Um, but I, you get a I lot love... with your tag, Mark. You get yeah. I you know, get like what is it like four deer, a bear, and something else all on the same with your hunting license. So, I mean, it's kind really? of a you, you yeah. You, so you could spend like whatever it is. You buy like a big game hunting license, and it's like you get two deer, four deer, something like that, and In a bear Arkansas? tag. Yeah, and a bear oh, tag wow, with it. Really? Yeah, and maybe even a turkey or something for like an extra <laughs> five bucks. So you could go down there, spend two weeks, and try and kill as much as you could. Non-resident? Uh, yeah, I believe so. Yeah. Oh wow! I've kind of so, been looking at that. I'm a. When it comes to bear hunting, I, that's our kind of our focus of this podcast. But when it comes to freaking bear hunting, I like to do two things. I like big mountain bear hunting. I like taking my llamas in to big mountains, deep wilderness hunts. When I say deep, you don't have to go that deep for bears. Most guys are not backpacking in for bears. I'm just telling you that most guys are not doing it unless you're like Ryan, and Ryan and Brian, they're kind of setting the stand, the standard for that. And there's more and more guys doing it, but it's just not the norm for bear hunting as much as it is for elk and things like that. So I love big mountain bear hunting, spot and stalk calling. But the other thing I'm really getting into is baiting bears in Idaho with my llamas packing bait in, with my llamas and doing, I call it the trifecta. I put the bait in. I'm hunting the bait early in the morning, late at night. I give it a few days. And while I'm giving it days, because there's a two bear limit in, in the areas I hunt in Idaho. So while I'm waiting for the bears, to, the baits to become active, I'm glassing, I'm calling, I'm using my electronic calls, doing all the stuff. And then I'll start setting those baits. Um, because let's face it, those baits, if you get deep in with those baits, the chances of a giant coming out yeah. is pretty high. But so those when you bears, soak those baits, you, Mark, 
when you soak those baits though, like how long you're telling me within like three days, you'll have bears. Oh yeah. I, I, I put it, my biggest bear I've killed to date was probably, is probably the photo I'm going to send you for the cover of this podcast, um, with a bow and the biggest bear I've ever killed with a bow. I had trail cam there. He ate the trail cam. So I didn't find the trail cam until I found the bear. That's a long story too. It's a funny story, but <laughs> he took the trail cam off the tree. Cause I was a dumbass. I put the salmon up first before I hung my trail cam. And I guess I had some salmon oil on my hands and I got it on the trail cam. Well, that was a mistake. And so the bear just ripped the camera right off the tree and he took it. So I lost my trail cam. So when I killed this bear, when I was tracking him in the pouring rain, the trail cam's in the middle of his blood trail. <laughs> and I found my trail cam. SIM card was still good. So anyway, I put that bait in, if I remember correctly. My wife and my kids went with me and helped me. We drug a freaking cart in with the llamas. My wife drove the cart in. It was quite the show. And we went in and put that bait in. I think we finished up at noon or 1 o'clock. And the way, I don't want to give too many secrets, but I have this special technique that I do at the bear bait, not just put the bait in. I do a burn with some special stuff and it'll be in my, it'll be in my bear e-scouting glass. Another and, reason to subscribe. <laughs> yeah, it'll be another reason. It's really good. And uh, it's a combination of things. But anyway, I do this special burn and I had bears on before that evening, before dark, that day, two or three on the trail cam that same day and i came in a week less than a week i think five days later i came in they had emptied a 55 gallon barrel and the way i do my bait barrels since we're talking about bear hunting i'll throw this tip out there i found this tip from this guy on a podcast and i've never hardly seen it in just a few places but it's called a trickle barrel and what he does he takes a 50 cent piece or a silver dollar no bigger and you make three or four holes in the bottom that size. That's the only holes in that barrel. And what it does is it keeps those bears coming during the daylight because they can't wipe that barrel out. If there's a hole, big hole, they can just reach in. They're just scraping the food out. Well, it's real easy for them to just come at night. Especially what, what I found is when you start getting competition at your bait, when you've got more than one bear, that's how I killed this big old bear. This bear circled me multiple days. I saw him multiple nights and he just circled 100, 200 yards out and I'd see him through the trees and as soon as he'd get my wind, he'd leave. I was like, bastard. He did it every <laughs> night, night after night after night. And the only thing that got him was the last night when I got him, when I killed him, I had a small bear come in and he was picking at that little hole with his, with his claw and I had dog food and popcorn coated with triple that bore master triple threat i hope you guys heard that that's my secret formula for the barrel <laughs> uh popcorn dog food mix about 50 50 coated sugar coated with this stuff from bore masters called triple threat oh my gosh that stuff is like crack cocaine <laughs> when they get on it they can't get off of it it's just that good so anyway this little bear was picking out the food early afternoon it was like two o'clock two or three o'clock and 
this bear, this big bear, saw him down there, charged all the way down the hillside, crashed into the barrel, and freaking ran that bear off. And he was not going to eat. He he freaked out when he ran in. He never even checked out the barrel. He started retreating, and I was able to get an arrow in him. And uh, that's my biggest bear to date. He would not have come to that barrel if it wasn't for the competition. And I think, I think, this is my own theory, I think the reason that there was competition, Lucas, is because I used that trickle barrel concept. And I've been using that ever since. Nice. Very nice. I think that's a good spot, Mark. You've uh, dropped a lot of knowledge on us, and hopefully everybody that listens to this gets inspired to <laughs> sign up for your e-scouting course and then get uh, awesome whatever deal you're going to do for them when it comes to the bear stuff. But uh, with that being said, tell everybody where they can find you, find your content before we get going here. Well, thanks, Lucas, and I appreciate all the support and the promotions for the course because one thing I do want to say – I. Sometimes I feel kind of weird about all the the promotions that I do on the podcast for my course and stuff. But guys, if you're listening to this, I'm trying super hard not to pay for these social media platforms for any advertising. I'm not I'm not trying to make a political statement. I'm not I'm not none of that. I just don't like the direction that it's going. And I don't want to give them any of my money. I do not want to support it. I don't want to be part of it. But the reality is it, when you're in this kind of business and I've got this course and I need people to find out that I have it, I don't have a lot of options. So you I'm counting on it. Yeah. So I'm counting on podcasts like you, yours, Lucas, other podcasts I've been on and other hunters to help me spread the word if they like it. If they don't like it, I certainly don't want them doing it. But so I didn't want to make too much of that. But that's my philosophy on that. I'm trying really hard not to do that. So I do appreciate you know, all the kind words and a lot, but you can follow me at treeline underscore pursuits and Instagram. I do most of my posting. I do all my course updates, anything that's going on with the course. That's the best way to find out. But if you want to check the course out, you can go to treelineacademy.net. But also you can also go, if you want to see, I added some new things to my website. You can also go to treelinepursuits.com. And on my Treeline Pursuits website, I also have also have information about the course, obviously. But what I did do, Lucas, was I was getting a lot of questions about the various podcasts I've been on, what topics I've talked about, when I've talked about them. So you know, you know podcast world right now. It's a sea of information out there. So <laughs> I I took every podcast that I've ever been on with e-scouting, even some llama podcasts, a few dehydrated meals. <laughs> and I organized them all on one web page with descriptions and links. And you even made it on there, Lucas. So you you actually missed the llamas, llama poop, and e scouting. That one was not. I got to put, put that there, one but... on. I know, I know. <laughs> I knew there was a couple that I don't have on there. So I'm going to add that one right after this. <laughs> By the time you post this, it'll be on. Um, but it's been really great. People have really loved have because you can't listen to all of those. Four, almost what is there? 30 some podcasts on there. And in case you can't tell right now, I mean, I love talking about this stuff. So I'm never on a 20 minute podcast. So <laughs> no. no, there's no such thing in my world, <laughs> unfortunately. And so I know you can't do it. So it's, I felt like it was a nice resource to have all those on one page and you can at your leisure, you can, and every time I'm on a new one or get invited and I put it on there. So anyway, 
that's available. I've got some articles on there too. Um, and I'm going to be doing more content on there. So treelinepursuits.com, treelineacademy.net. Thanks for having me, Lucas. I really appreciate it. Yeah, man. No, it's been good. Good talking to you, Mark. Thanks for coming on. Okay, thanks. Once again, thank you so much for listening to the Publicly Challenged podcast. I hope you enjoyed the show. And if you did, please subscribe on whatever platform it is you're listening to. Also, if you could leave a review, that would help us out. And you can check us out on Instagram or at publiclychallenge.com. And once again, thank you so much for listening to the show. Brave anglers search for the one they call king, but who will take his throne? Tune in to Waypoint TV's Battle for Silver, Saturday, May 18th from 12 to 6 p.m. Eastern. Presented by Abyss Battery, Waypoint TV. I'm Will Cooper, host of HuntStand's Make Your Mark podcast. For even more content, be sure to watch the original films from HuntStand Presents on the Waypoint TV channel every Tuesday at 10 p.m. Eastern. Visit waypointtv.com to learn more.